Good morning. My name is Paul Meyer. Welcome to Morning Matters. I'll be your host today. Morning Matters is part of the Acts 17 Accord, a ministry committed to preparing God's people to live righteous, spirit-filled lives to the end of the age. Some of you may be fearful when I say spirit-filled that I'm telling you you have to be a Pentecostal. No, people misunderstand the difference between being spirit-filled and spirit-empowered. Empowered is when the Holy Spirit specifically uses you in a supernatural way to operate in one of the gifts. Spirit-filled is the normal, everyday in moment-by-moment moment life of the believer, we are to be filled with the Spirit continually. Continually, Ephesians 5.18, be ye being filled. It's a continual process, and it involves submitting our will to God at each point along the way. When we sin, we repent and come back. All right. Well, great to be with you today. We are going to continue our discussion. We started last week about Israel. <clears throat> yeah, hang on here. What is... Here we go. Is God finished with the nation of Israel? Or has Israel been replaced by the body of Christ? This is a very practical teaching uh, in that Israel's in the news every day. We talked last week about Hamas and Palestinians and why I believe every person on earth should, should support Israel and not the Palestinians. It's not so much the Palestinians, but the Hamas and the terrorists that are going on. Uh, this also has to do with the end times and what's next on God's calendar. Now, I'm just going to give you a little preview of what I believe. I'm just going to make a statement of what I believe is a fact. In the not too distant future, a Jewish king will rule the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. By the way, I don't like to use the word universe anymore. I like the heavens and the earth because that's a biblical phrase. His throne will be established in Israel. He will sit on the throne of David. His name is Yeshua, Jewish name. His English name is Jesus of Nazareth who came in the flesh. Jesus is going to be ruled. A Jewish man is going to rule the whole world. And that may not be a problem for many believers. Might. But it's going to be a problem for people that hate Israel that hate Jews, a Jew is going to rule the world. Now, he is the creator of the universe as well, but he is a Jew. So as we get into this topic about has Israel been replaced and, you know, is the church now Israel, is our partial fulfillment, how do you fulfill prophecies, all of those things. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but we're looking at really three schools of theology. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm a theologian, but I'm a biblical theologian. I, I don't, I mean, I like the Westminster Confession and other confessions. They all have great things to say. I'm not against them, but I'm not into systematic theology as much as I am into actually what does the Bible itself teach. And I know everybody does that, but the systematic is kind of a way of organizing the Bible in a certain way. And I don't necessarily totally agree with all of that. Um, but there's, you know, anyway, there's covenant theology. Uh, dispensational and dispensational light, replacement theology. There's a progressive covenant theology as well. And really what it comes down to, when you take a, when you break apart all of the different dispensations or all the different covenants, what you're really doing with dealing with is how do you interpret prophecy? How do you interpret Israel and the future? That's where the disagreement really comes to. Whether you call it a covenant or you call it a dispensation, I don't really care. But I do care about when the church started. Is Israel separate from the church? That's important. And I do care about prophecy and how you interpret prophecy. And so uh, dispensationalists tend to be literal, literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. Um, everyone says they believe that, and they all do at certain areas. But they, the difference between a dispensationalist and a covenant theologian generally is that when it comes to prophetic passages or the passages having to do with Israel, is they, uh, the covenant will spiritualize, allegorize, and interpret them, reinterpret 
They see Israel, excuse me, they would say they see the church in Genesis 3, right? They see the church and everything in the Old Covenant. And so they've kind of melded these two things together in a way that I disagree with. Uh, the result of these facts, I mean, so, so let me just say it this way. There's also, it's allegorical, uh, metaphorical, spiritualizing, symbolic. A lot of things are symbolic and spiritual. They're not literal, they're spiritual. So, so people say about dispensation, well, they're literalists with everything. Well, no, we're just taking what it says about these covenants and the promises to Israel that's actually to Israel. We're not spiritualizing them into the church. Right? And that's what happens when you replace Israel with the church. You're spiritualizing the old things and saying that all of this was the church. The church has been from the beginning of time. And I don't even like the word church. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> it's not a, not a biblical word. Uh, the result of these beliefs affect the end times, our support for Israel and God's plan for Israel. Uh, they support how we see the church, you know, how, the, how the church relates to the world, and how we relate to Israel as well. A lot of it has to do with Israel. Uh, many, many Christians, many people who call themselves Christians do not specifically support the nation of Israel, especially those who believe in replacement theology. But covenant theology is almost replacement. It's not. I mean, the left wing of the faith completely support Hamas and, Hamas and Palestinians and Iran. They, they want nothing to do with Israel. They believe Israel is the problem for everything. Um, they believe that Israel has no more right to the land of Canaan than the Philistines or the Palestinians or the land of Israel, Canaan. Uh, they all believe is, they believe Israel is just one nation among many and have no, has no special meaning to God or the kingdom of the other, kingdom of God. Now, there are varying degrees of this belief, but that's the underlying thing that happens. On the other hand, dispensationalists, and I'm a dispensationalist light, but I do believe in dispensations. But again, I don't really study the Bible according to the dispensations. That's just a way to structure it. I, I just believe there's a distinction, and this is primarily what I believe, that there is a distinction between Israel, the na national Israel, that God is going to restore national Israel. Now, what that looks like ev eventually, I don't know. Some dispensations believe that eventually there's going to be this, uh, they'll reinstitute the sacrificial system. And, you know, and I, I just think a lot of that's just not true. You know, but again, we don't know for sure. I don't know how that all works together. We'll get into that when we talk about what is the church? What is Israel? What is the difference between these two things? But I do believe there's a distinction and a definite place for Israel in the future. Now, throughout history, no one really believed that. That was, that was a really hard belief to hold on to because Israel didn't exist as a nation. They were wanderers around the earth. Nobody, you know, they were hated by the church. Many, many of the church people were uh, anti-Semitic. They are today. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is all over the church. Now, it's not as bad as it used to be. I mean, we kind of got past that after the Holocaust. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's still that strain of anti-Semitism. It's, like it's like people forgot that the Holocaust even happened. This whole thing with Palestinians and Hamas. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> Did you forget about the Holocaust? Do you forget these people have nowhere on earth that wherever they go, they're hunted and killed? So they want to have a land and fight to keep it. Then I stand with them. I'll take a gun and go over and fight with them if I could move around better, you know, no, no, this is, you know, anyway, so, you know, the church has kind of changed a little bit, but there's still a lot of anti-Semitism that runs under the surface in a lot of these groups. 
Um, now, I'm not judging their hearts. I don't know anybody individually. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying from the writings and things that are said, this is the idea that I get. So, and then we have a big problem. I think the big elephant in the room is Catholicism. And again, I'm going to spend some time talking about Catholicism. I've been engaged in some online conversations with Catholics, you know, saying, talking about papal succession, that they're the only true church, saying things like, well, the church's theology. It's not biblical theology. It's the church's theology. What the church says is true. You need the church to interpret the Bible. And I got to tell you, that's really marginally cult-like. I think it is a cult. It's not quite as bad as some cults, but it is cult-like to say, well, we're right and you're wrong and you got to follow us. If you don't follow us, we're going to excommunicate you or we're going to do this to you, which they've done throughout history. In fact, throughout history, they killed people. Catholicism, I, I love Catholics. I know a lot of Catholics. They love Jesus. They want to know him. But you have to understand the spirit behind it. That spirit behind it is we're the one true church, and that's a false teaching. And I will talk more when we get into what the church is. And I've, t I've got, got videos on that, but I'm going to do it again and do some more on it. Uh, so basically what happens with, with Catholicism and with some of these other groups is they're all, all millennial. They don't believe there's a special millennium coming. That, and that's not as big a problem as just the idea that how they interpret Israel and the church, making the church really Israel in one way or the other. They may not all say it directly like that, but that's kind of how they look. Or that the church is an extension of Israel. Or Israel is an extension, or the beginning of the church. Either one of these things is good. And usually it has to do with uh, prophecies about the nation Israel and es other eschatological subjects where they start allegorizing these, these different teachings. Um, you know, they change, well, they just change things because they're spiritualizing and allegorizing the text. You know, you know, uh, Origen was kind of the beginning of this, and Origen was pretty early on, but Augustine, Augustine was also anti-Semitic, maybe not as bad as some people have said. There's another book out about him that kind of challenges some of the uh, long-held beliefs about Augustine, but Anyway, they're all we're all really into allegorical and spiritualizing the text. That's that's what they did, and uh, you know this is where you get Mariism, Mariology, uh, the Jewish Kabbalah. You know what numerals mean certain things, and you go through and you you just kind of read lots of stuff into the text, which is really the problem I have with with the old Earth uh, views of Genesis. They're reading into the text. They're not taking the text literally. And I went through a whole series of teaching about why I believe the Bible teaches that the Earth is young and why science teaches that it's young. But that's just one thing. So now we continue. Again, you start spiritualizing the Bible and allegorizing it, and man, it just loses, it loses all its authority. Um, so now let's go into the covenants themselves. Now there's actually eight of them. Seven, uh, the Adenic and the Adamic uh, are are really kind of twin sisters, one side of the other. Um, they are divided by people. And I'm just taking other people's terms for these, but I think they're they're useful. And understand with a covenant, a covenant is agreement between two people. You know, I have the name of our ministry is the Acts 17 Accord. It could be the Acts 17 Covenant. You know, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. He tells us all about himself. He says, I'm going to judge the world. I'm telling you, I, I want you to come to me. He makes this agreement with mankind, really an agreement with him, or a offer of an agreement, offer of a covenant with mankind. That's kind of what the Acts 17 Accord is all about. It's, it's a great passage. You haven't read it recently. Um, but there's conditional covenants and there's unconditional covenants. And uh, the difference between them is, is it's really kind of interesting because uh, we say the Abrahamic covenant was non-conditional. 
Um, the land covenant was non-conditional, by the way. Uh, Noahic covenant, covenant was, well, kind of a mix. <laughs> it's really not, it's not, it's, it's an unconditional covenant. This is what's going to happen if you do this and this. Uh, the Adamic or the Edenic, the one in the paradise in, in the Garden of Eden, that covenant was conditional, right? And we failed it. You know, the Mosaic covenant is conditional. The Davidic covenant is partially conditional, but because Solomon's sons would have actually stayed ruling on the throne had they obeyed God. They didn't. But the unconditional part of it is that the throne of David will be established forever. So then you have, then after that, I think you have the, uh, I think that's all of them. Here, let me look. Remember them all. Abrahamic land covenant, Mosaic, Davidic, and then you have the uh, um, the new covenant. All right. So so that's 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 what the covenants are. So there, some are conditional, some are unconditional, and God's going to even the unconditional ones He prepared for. He knew. All right, so let's go to the Edenic covenant. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 26, 26 through 30. Now, this covenant has the two parts. One is the blessings and the curses, and the Edenic one, Eden, is what that comes from, E-D-E-N-I-C, the Eden covenant. The covenant in the Garden of Eden is the blessing, and then the curse is the Adamic covenant, which what happened as a result of the failure to keep the first half. So it's two covenants with two different, same covenant with two different aspects. All right. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We'll talk about that in a second. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He said that twice now. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with, its, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the life of breath, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So this is God's covenant. This is what he's telling them. This is what I've given you. This is my side of this. This is what I want you to have. So what does it mean? Number one, mankind, he created how? Male and female. Right? And we know in, in, later on in Genesis 3 that procreation well, we know as a fact, procreation only happens through male and female. It only It's supposed to happen only in the context of marriage. Sex was made in a marriage. A man shall leave his mother and shall cling to his wife. And the two, they'll have kids. They'll raise their family. They'll serve the Lord. That's obviously not the exact words, but that's what it means. That's what it is. That's God's system. This is God's order. Understand that the whole idea of, of Genesis is this is God's perfection that he created. When it said he entered into his rest, it didn't mean he stopped. He was like, oh, I'm really tired from creating. It means he entered into the order and rested himself and set himself, established himself in the order that he created. This is his order, male and female. 
So when we today, after the sexual revolution, of course, it's been throughout history, but it's gotten worse and worse. And so now we have, you know, we've changed men and women. Uh, you know, we started off with, you know, women can burn their bras and have sex like men can. and They don't have to be faithful. You know, the, all the things that women wanted, we demand these rights. We want to vote. We want it. Voting's fine. You know, we want to work. Well, it's fine if you want to work, if you can handle the responsibilities that you have, all that God has her. You know, I, I mean, it's not like God said you had to stay home. The Proverbs 31 wife worked all the time. She had a home business. She was very successful with it. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are misnomers about uh, how men and women have been behaving. But ultimately, this feminism, this feminism that came has literally changed the world. And it has, I believe, feminism has destroyed societies. And it is destroying the American society right now. Fortunately, there's a large portion of, especially young people, that aren't buying into all of the radical, foolish notion of feminism. Now, should women, are women equal to men? Of course they are. What does that have to do with it? That has nothing to do with what feminism is about. Feminism is about. Feminism is about power. It's about, I don't want the man to rule over me. And we'll see that in a minute. That's part of the curse. And as we'll go into here. But God created them male and female, just two genders. There's two sexual identities, none else. Now, granted, there are androgynous people. There, there, are, there are what you would call birth defects in people, and their bodies don't come out right. Things happen. That's part of the fall. It's not part of sin. In other words, if a person's born with some physical deformity, it doesn't mean he or his parents sinned. It means the whole earth has sinned, and the whole earth has been affected. Sin has affected every natural process. Everything in God's order gets affected by sin doesn't mean the person themselves sinned. It might have been had nothing to do with them whatsoever. Remember the man Jesus said came to him, he was born blind, and the people said, well, who sinned? He or his mother? He or his parents, you know? And he said, neither. It's just part of the world, man. The destruction of Adam and Eve's sin and the fall. But eventually, see, he created this male and female. Now, with homosexuality and lesbianism, you can't have children unless you cheat and borrow from God's system. So two men can't have a child. Now they say, well, yeah, if, if the woman identifies as a man, then she's a man, they can have a child. No, she's still a woman. If you can have a child, if, what makes a woman is someone who can have a child, actually birth a child. I don't care what you call yourself, you're still a woman. Right? So the point of it is, two, two women cannot. Two women cannot have child, cannot have children. I don't know why my phone is ringing like that. It should be completely off. Sorry about that. Uh, two women cannot have children, and two men cannot have children. They have to borrow. Now, the woman, in, in the case of two lesbians, if a woman, a woman can carry the child, but the, the other woman doesn't have any seed to put in it, she has to borrow from the male. She has to go back to God's order and come over and say, oh, I can have a child, and then pretend like it's God's order. It's not God's order. It's out of order. All sin is out of God's order. Sex before marriage is out of God's order. It's extremely destructive. Destroys more lives than you can possibly imagine. Anytime we do things that's out of God's order, it's not good for us. God made the rules for us. And it's not like he just, these are, these are reality. This is reality, male and female. The other thing about it that's very special is that we are created in God's image. So it's even worse when we out, we're out of us. It's like we're God, we were made to be God's kids. We're made to be like him, to demonstrate to the world, to the whole system, what God is like. But when we operate outside of that, we defame the name of Jesus or the, and the name of God. We defame him. The image of God is in us. You are an image of God. Start acting like it. Repent. Turn your life back over to him. 
Secondly, man's dominion or rule over the animal kingdom. We have control over the earth. You know, we can take salt water and turn it into sea or into drinking water. We, we have, there's thousands of inventions, you know, plants, crops, growing things, all the things that we can do, the harvesting of the earth, you know, animals, eating animals, processing animals to eat. I know a lot of people don't like that, but your heart's not right in that. I can tell you that in a minute. I'll show you in a minute. Bottom line of it is we have control over all of the earth. We are also given the divine directive to reproduce and inhabit the whole earth. Well, people are, there's too many people. I can only have, we're going to do a zero, you know, we're going to have two kids. That way we don't have to, we don't overpopulate the earth. You're not going to overpopulate the earth. The only reason the earth is in the condition that it is because the heart of man was continually wicked and every day and God destroyed the original earth, which I guarantee the original earth could hold a lot more people than we can today. But we're not even begin to filling the whole earth. And there's ways to turn deserts into, into oases. I mean, look what Israel has done in their land and the growth and the things that they have, the food, the production they have in that desert, arid land. You know, the problem is we don't trust God. Again, we don't want to do God things, things God's way. We want to make our own rules and our own perspectives. Mankind was to be vegetarian. Vegetarian. There was no, you didn't eat meat. Not only did not man eat meat, eat meat the animals didn't. The Tyrannosaurus Rex did not eat meat. They didn't. They weren't meant to. They were meant to eat, um, excuse me, <laughs> no, such a, you know, they were meant to eat vegetation. And many, many of them did. And they can. We know lions and tigers can live on vegetation. They can. But the world has changed. Again, so what's happened? Well, the world changed. The world that God made changed. And the meat, meat became okay. And then they were given one instruction. Do not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It was forbidden. And what was the covenant? If you eat it, you're going to die. This is what God said. Hey, don't eat of it and you'll live. Eat of it and you'll die. Now, Adam and Eve didn't fall over, but it literally says die and they shall die. So what are the curses? This is the other side of it. This is really the Adamic covenant. That means Adam's covenant. Adamic. It sounds like you're swearing. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He said this to the woman, basically saying the seed of, eventually, Mary, the seed of Jesus, his life, he would die, but he would destroy the, the it would destroy, he would destroy Satan in his kingdom, and it would bruise his heel, his bruising of his heel was his death. And then she says, he says this, to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, the childbearing, you know, I mean, it's horrible. People die in childbearing all the time. You know, everything's not simple anymore. It would have been great had we not sinned, had we not walked away. See, this is a, this is a, this is a conditional covenant. The conditional covenants really affect the people that directly are engaged with the covenant. So human beings are directly engaged with it. So every woman has suffering and pain, child, pain and childbirth. Right? We'll get into 1 Timothy 2.15 sometime, what it means. Um, then secondly, your desire will be contrary to your husband, or your desire will be to rule over your husband. And what happened in the garden is when Satan comes, and Adam and Eve are there, and then Satan comes to them and says, Hey, isn't this good-looking fruit? You know, you should try some of this. No, no, God said we can't eat of this. No way, no way, we'll die on that day. And Satan goes, Well, hey, maybe you'll be like God. Maybe you'll get really wise. See, Eve was deceived. She took it. She, the Bible says she was deceived, and she sinned, and she took it, ate it, and gave it to Adam, and Adam ate it. What happened was Eve took control of the situation, but God made Adam to be in control. 
He made Adam first. Eve was his partner, helpmate, but it wasn't her job to rule. Her job was to follow Adam. She refused to follow Adam, and so doing, she led the entire human race into sin. And then Adam doubled the problem by taking the fruit himself. So in Adam, all sin. So Adam's sin destroyed the human race. So basically what happens is you had fraught history. What's the struggle between men and women? Who's going to be in charge? How's it all going to work? How you get along? All these things. It all has to do with control and rule. Paul told the Ephesian believers, his wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. <clears throat> and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The intention of creation. What was God's intention? His and God's intention was that they would be partners and walk together. Walk together. Needing each other. They're meant to fulfill each other. My wife is my partner. She's my friend. But I have to lead her. I don't rule her. See, the ruling comes when women try to rule men. And so men get defensive and they rule back. Right? And neither one are right. But it all is a result of the curse. So if we don't get our hearts right by submitting to Jesus first and then submitting to the wife, submitting to her husband, the husband submitting to God, and choosing to love her, love his wife as Christ loved the church, that doesn't mean giving her gifts and treating her like a princess all the time. That's not what it means. Means being godly and leading her and being a godly man and without wrath, without doubting. That's a whole teaching I've gone through in some detail, but that's what this means. Um, you know, basically, so that's the conflict. When you get your hearts right, then, then the relationships work out pretty darn good. We've been married 40, I can't remember, 46 years now, 47, something like that. You know, she's my best friend. We have a great relationship. Adam said, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you to, you should not eat of it. You should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Lord called wife's, his wife's name Eve, because she was a mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So let me just go through this list. I've already talked about most of them, but enmity between Satan and Eve. Satan hates humanity. The enemy hates you. He would do anything he can to deceive you, destroy you, to see you spend eternity separated from God, to see your family die, to see things happen to you, disasters or to make you rich and make you, you know, arrogant and proud. Uh, he will do whatever he can to harm you. There will be painful childbirth for women, marital strife, the soilless curse, thorns and thistles, and then death is introduced. Adam's son killed his other son, right? And death will be the inescapable fate of all living things. Everything dies. The only people that won't die are those who go up in the rapture in the first place. And two men in history, but we'll get into that another time. And the word, when it says dying, it literally says dying, you shall die. That's what happened. That was the effect. So this is the first covenant that we had. It was a conditional covenant. God said, I've given you all of these things. You can have all these blessings if you don't eat of the fruit. So the covenant has a promise and it has a consequence. Consequence was if you eat of the fruit, that's consequence. So we call it two covenants, but it's really two aspects of the covenant with Eden, the men Eden, and the covenant with Adam. All right, now the next covenant, this is, I've got it as third, it could be second, but the Noahic covenant. 
So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. And again, what I'm trying to do is just read through these things and you look at and listen to what the scripture says and see how simple it is to actually interpret the Bible sometimes. It's not that complex, but you have to have a faith in the book and you have to have some, you know, not everybody's going to come up with all their theology said, you don't need to. You know, everybody should try, though. You should be looking. But ultimately, you're going to be taught. God, God ordains people to teach the word, too, as well. All right. Verse 9, or verse 8 of chapter 9. This is after the flood. The flood has happened. The whole world, the Bible says the whole world was deluged and destroyed. So the world that was there before is gone. We know that the Pangea probably still existed, but it, it actually, I don't think it did. I think the Pangea had already begun to split apart, the one landmass. And you began to have mountains and hills. Uh, there, were, there were mountains, so it had to be the Pangea happened during the flood. I hadn't thought about that. But the Pangea, the breaking of the Pangea happened during the flood. You have fossils on the top of Mount Everest. How do you do that? Sea fossils. Well, <laughs> fossils have to be buried quickly. So they happen to happen quickly. So the the land was splitting up. Continents were going under each other, pushing this one up. You have these huge mountains and the oceans or tsunamis, earthquakes. All these things are happening. It's not just water raining all over the earth. It was a huge cataclysmic thing that happened. So anyway, we're at the end of that. And they're after, after they're out of, the, out of the boat in Mount Ararat. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God likes lots of people. <laughs> He said that third time, be fruitful, be fruitful. I mean, after every time they said, be fruitful, make more people. He says, then he says this, this is the change. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you should not eat flesh with its life in it that's in its blood. And for your life, but I will, require, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. From men. From his fellow men, I will require a reckoning for the life of men. In other words, for beasts, if a man kills another human being, the men are supposed to kill him. Um, whoever sheds the blood of man shall by, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. That's why we get the death penalty. And you, which, by the way, if you're going to do the death penalty, you better be sure you're right. That's all i got to say about it. But it's perfectly legitimate to take a person's life for murdering someone else. And, you know, I mean, there are extenuating circumstances, of course. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it again. He says it again. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth that I establish this covenant with you, that you never again that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, some people believe the flood is a local flood. If it was a local flood, then God's broken this promise many times. There's been lots of flood that murdered, killed lots of people. It wasn't a local flood. It was a worldwide flood, and God's never done that again. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, the rainbow, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And all the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. That's, the rainbow becomes kind of an important thing, doesn't it? Right? But again, he's saying this is an everlasting covenant. This is a permanent covenant. Right? This, is, there's this, this, this is permanent and it's unconditional. So what are the basic characteristics of it? Number one, fear of man has come to animals. They're afraid of us. You see a squirrel, you walk toward the squirrel, he runs away. Now, there are people who have an ability to walk to them. Now, I think that's something from the Spirit of God, probably, but I don't know what it is, but they're not, they're not afraid of them. And there are people that learn. You know, you have the dog whispers and the horse whispers and, you know, the bear whispers. You have people that are able to inter interchange them. But as a general rule, every animal is fearful of us. And they act out of fear of us. A lion and a tiger that comes after you, I mean, they have their instincts to kill, but they're also, there's fear there. And I think we use that fear at times. I think we have authority over the animals. Um, I think you can stand up. You can tell the animals to stop, stop their activity. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> I invite the presence of God, and I would tell the animals to stop. I look in the eye and say, no, I, still, I have authority over you. That still goes back to Genesis. I have authority over the animals. I have authority over everything on the earth. I believe we can stop tornadoes and floods sometimes. Now, I don't believe that's a universal thing. I think it has to be done when God wants it to be done, but I do believe it's... I've seen rainstorms stop in the middle of it. I've seen miracles like that. I know some of you won't believe that, but... I don't care whether you believe it or not. I know what I believe. I know what I've seen happen. I've seen storms stop in the middle of it and go away. I've seen the, I saw the Yellowstone Park fire of 87 or 89. I don't remember which year it was, but it was a massive fire. And I believe God stopped that. He stopped it with, he sent snow. And it was a result of prayers. Things that we said to it, speaking to it. Anyway, that's going to throw a lot of people into contortions, but think about it. Anyway, so we see this fear of animals, and it won't change, really, not widespread until the millennium, where the lion will lay down with the lamb, and that child will play with the adder's nest. Right? They're not going to be afraid. They're not going to harm. There'll be no more harm on my holy mountain, he says. But this, again, this is part of the curse. This is the result. This is the result of what happened, right, when Adam and Eve broke that original covenant in Eden. Covenant in Eden. Now, these are the effects of it because they continue to get worse and worse. Die and you shall die. The hearts and man's thoughts of men's intention were intentionally evil all day long. They were constantly doing evil things, killing each other. I think they were eating meat. They were doing all kinds of things they weren't supposed to be doing. All right? So this is the result of the curse, and it's also a promise to us now. It's part of this covenant. It's universal. It's a general rule. Animals are always going to be afraid of you. Secondly, it says you are now to eat meat not flesh with its blood. Now, that's a whole thing we'll get into another point. But the point of it is, is that you're now no longer a vegetarian. The world is no longer vegetarian. The animals changed. The animals are now carnivorous. And I believe, I believe we're supposed to eat meat, actually. I don't believe we're supposed to be, to eat so much vegetables. I mean, you have a whole world out there. Oh, it's so bad to kill animals and all this stuff. Well, you know why? Yeah, it's, it's not nice to kill them, but you know why you have to kill them? Because you guys sinned. We sinned years and years, decades, millennium ago, and we're still feeling the effect of it. You want peace with the animals? You want everything to be wonderful? Well, it doesn't happen. There's nothing without the shedding of blood. That's part of life. This is now part of God's new order. Eat meat. 
eat meat. Stop buying into this whole vegetarian, you know, you got to eat, you know, all of these unnatural, you know, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. Now, you might have personally allergies to certain things. Well, you don't want to eat things you're allergic to. But I know people that are allergic to vegetables. <laughs> you know, Jordan Peterson and his family have, they lost a cousin because of the allergies she has to all of the things that she was eating in the world. And they started eating meat only. Their life has utterly changed. Their health is totally changed by eating meat. And there's a big thing online doing the carnivore diet. Look, I don't, I don't buy into this whole, so, so poor Bambi and all of this stuff. That's just crap. God gave them to us for food. And I don't think we should be wanton with it or that we should mistreat them. You know, the way the Jewish people handle, you know, kosher meat and how they treat animals, you know, when they, when they do slaughter them. You know, I think there's a humane way to do things and there's better ways to do things. But the fact of the matter is, you know, it's global warming. They're farting. They're going to kill the world. It's just, it's so much nonsense. It's just unbelievable. If you want to stop global warming with, with, you know, with, uh, with emissions, we'll do something with, the, with China and India. Stop trying to take away a hamburger from people in America. It's nonsense. It's stupid. It's like taking guns away from law-abiding citizens so only criminals will have them. That logic is foolishness. Stop believing that stuff. Man alive, it's foolish. <laughs> anyway, there's a death penalty for animals who kill humans. When an animal's out of control, you put that's why we put animals down when they kill somebody. They get that, you know, they say with a bear, they get the taste for human flesh. It's got to die. And humans who kill other humans. The death penalty. God establishes the death penalty here. This is a permanent covenant. You kill a man, your life should be taken. Now, I said a minute ago, there's, there's things that happen. You know, number one, you got to make sure you got the right person. You can't have the corrupt system that we've had in this country sometimes. Where in the South, if you were black, you just got convicted. Lots of death people. I don't know if a lot, but there are many people on death row that aren't guilty. So I'm not for that. I'm saying we better make sure you, you have an absolute, absolute responsibility to be certain but if somebody has killed people and they're not mentally ill or something like that, some people can be institutionalized. Uh, you can't put people away in prison for life. That's it's not really death, but it's better than letting them run wild, which they do now because we have no bail. <laughs> These nonsense things that people do. Um, but if you kill a human being, you're supposed to lose your life. Just got to make sure that you got the right person and that there weren't other circumstances involved in it. Because there were mitigating laws even under Israel's law. Right? Self-defense, different things. Again, he says, be fruitful and fill the earth. <laughs> and then the promise is to never flood the earth again. I already talked about that. We have floods all the time. So he's either the lion or he meant a universal flood. And then finally, the sign of the rainbow. These are the evidence of his covenant. These are, the, these are the evidence of the covenant. That's the reminder to God, which not that he needs to remember, but he does some things anthropomorphically, you know, Saying, well, I see that, oh my gosh, I can't flood the earth. You know, it's not like he forgot, but it's really more for us when we see that word to remember that he promised not to flood the earth again. Right? So we have today, we have gone through two, really three covenants the Edenic, the Adamic, and the Noahic covenant. These are the first three. All right, it's, it's time to now, I'm going to wrap up today. Next week, we'll go through the Abrahamic, the Davidic, the New Covenant, and uh, 
the Mosaic Covenant. It's, it actually goes Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the New Covenant. We'll go through those covenants. We should be able to get through them all next week. But these are important. So this is, again, we're trying to establish who is Israel, what is Israel like. Up to this point, all of these, these first two covenants really, they're not about Israel. Israel doesn't exist at this point. Now, some of the things that they were told, the world was told, still applied to Israel, and Israel used those in their establishment of their nation. God used it in the establishment of their, na- of their nation in the laws and the rules and the regulations that they were uh, required to live by, which every, uh, every, every, um, every, every nation lives by. I forgot one thing. Let me go back to... Uh, I forgot about teaching. Um, but this is also what we call, they call this the institution of human government. Well, what is human government? Well, human government is power over other people. Like we get 50 families and they all come living together. Who's in charge? And every father has its home and mother, father, mother have their home. They lead their home. But what happens when this father and mother get in problems with this father and mother? Who who resolves these conflicts? Who, if somebody steals from somebody, who resolves that? Well, so basically government is the human and I think divine ordained, but it's more of a natural ordination for people to allow a community of people to live together. So it's the rules that cause us to be able to live in community. If we're all living, then we have our own farm out here and I never see you, you never see me. Well, you know, maybe we don't have to have too many rules, but once we start living next to each other, we start having conflicts. We live, you know, our kids do things, people do things, all kinds of stuff happens. You have to have government. You have to have law and order ultimately. And I think it starts right here and it starts with the idea of, of the death penalty. Of all the power that one person has over another person, the death, the death penalty is the highest power. If I have the authority and the right to take your life because you took somebody else's life, that is government. That is what a government is. And God established this. That it's, it's not said government, but it's implied in the actions that we take. So government is a natural function. It's a natural outgrowth of people living together. You have to have somebody in charge. Somebody has to make the final decision. Or some ones, not just one, maybe a group of people. And um, really, it's generally a group of people, you know, leaders, people who are leaders by nature, that God made them leaders. They, they, they lead and they, they help make decisions. They're supposed to make just decisions and true decisions. Romans 13 became, you know, what government is today after Israel. You know, the government is there to protect you from one another. He carries the sword, does not carry the sword in vain. He carries it for the Lord. So human government is established in the covenant and the Noahic covenant. This is where human government is established. And the next thing that happens in life is, is the nation of Israel. The next thing that happens in, in world history is the establishment of the nation of Israel, which is the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll be looking at that next week. Um, I hope this has been good for you. We'd love it if you... If you like these things, I'd appreciate it. Let me just put this on the board there. You can subscribe on Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow us. You can subscribe at Acts 17 Accord. That's our website. Wherever you're doing this, YouTube, you can subscribe. We'd love to have some more subscribers and get there and get this out and if you like this i'd love for you to share it with your friends um if you know people that want to watch it you can watch it again it'll be i edit them today and i'll set them up on uh i'll set them up on facebook and uh you can see them there you'll be able to see them on youtube channels they're also on all our podcasts at apple podbean uh, spotify soundcloud you can get 
you can get these um, podcasts any place you can get a podcast. You can get it. And so we'd love for you to follow us and look at if you like it. If you really like it, send me a comment. Tell me, hey, this was good. Or, Man, that was I didn't like that at all. It's fine if you disagree with me. I don't mind if you disagree with me. That's how we learn. But so I'm happy for negative comments as well as positive. Anyway, the Lord bless you. You have a great week. And uh, next week we will continue to do this. We'll talk about start beginning with the Abrahamic covenant. And then we'll be able to see where the differences with Israel and the church and what's really going on. All right. God bless. Bye bye.